0: On the show, they bring together the best and brightest minds to share with you how to have a more confident financial picture. They empower listeners with simple common sense and financial wisdom. And now, here are your hosts from LPF Advisors.
1: Okay, I want to welcome everybody to the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors. I'm your host, Chris Flaming here as always, and today I have the honor of welcoming Michael Raynan to the show. Known as the IRS guy in his neck of the woods, he is the president of Landmark Tax Group and a former IRS revenue officer. That sounds very intimidating. His firm represents clients seeking tax relief when the IRS comes knocking. Michael, thanks for being here and welcome to the show.
2: Yeah, thanks, Chris. I appreciate being here.
1: Yeah, we're going to have some fun. Let's jump in. So I'm sure you have a very interesting history, former IRS Revenue Officer. So take us through kind of your past briefly and what led you to opening up your own practice.
2: Yeah, yeah, happy to. So, you know, what happened with, with my journey to end up in, in what I like to call the belly of the beast um, at the IRS <laughs> is, uh, you know, I graduated from college from undergrad in 2003 and the market was still uh, on a down slump uh, after 9-11 happened. I was going to every single job expo and job fair that I could find. And this one particular one was in 2000, uh, early 2003, in January 2003, and I was hitting every single booth in a row. At the end of one of the, one of the rows was these two gentlemen standing in their dark suits in front of their booth. And it turns out they're from the treasury, specifically the IRS. So me being very diligent, uh, making sure I get a job because I needed one desperately, I stopped at that booth and spoke with these two IRS agents. And they said that midnight that night, There was a uh, job postings that were about to close. So they're hiring, doing a mass hiring, like 1,500 people across the Mm -hmm. country. So I said, all right, to myself, I need a job uh, at Banana College now. I got to start making some real money uh, or at least get on some sort of path. So I ended up taking that exam, uh, passed it, moved to the next step. Next thing I knew was flying from Florida to California for an interview, in-person interview and fingerprinting with the IRS. So that itself was was a little bit intimidating, uh, especially for a new college grad, and then dealing with the IRS and all these stereotypes that come with agency. You know, I was at the IRS as a revenue officer, like you mentioned, uh, which are the collection folks, for about eight years. And while I was there, you know, I always had this entrepreneurial spirit and and uh, this desire to work for myself. So while I was there, I was always uh, mentally and physically planning my exit. Uh, so I was learning as much as I could. I was getting information, gathering from every single source, from the other revenue officers, you know, the agents, and from my managers, from the uh, information that I was I was coming across from the cases I was working. I started to put together as much information as I could uh, that I could maybe use in my own practice in the future. So, so after eight years at the IRS, I ended up leaving, started a landmark tax group in 2012, and we've been helping uh, taxpayers across the country with their back taxes ever since.
1: Awesome. Yeah, that's not a history that I usually hear from people that I interview. So thank you for sharing that. If you could go back those six or eight years to where you started your own practice, what do you think you would tell that person? So is there something you know now that you wish you would have known starting out?
2: Yeah, I mean, I wish I would have known everything I knew now. You know, it was difficult because I didn't have I have two business degrees, but my degrees didn't prepare me for going into business, mm-hmm. um, you know, the actual practice of being in business, you got to be a salesperson, you got to be a marketer, you got to be the entrepreneur, you got to be the manager, you got to be the leader, uh, you got to stay on top of, of, you know, different advertising, marketing strategies, and so forth. So, you know, there, there's a lot that I wish I knew, uh, especially when it comes to how to manage all these different buckets of running a business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I when I left the IRS after eight years, I was a technician, you know, I was an expert in handling back tax issues, uh, resolving them, understanding the tax code, understanding procedures of the IRS. Um, And that was the technical part. It took me a few years to finally get some traction of actually Bringing on new clients, uh, you know, creating certain funnels where where our taxpayers across the country felt comfortable working with us, developing a network of, of business professionals who can refer their clients over to us. Uh, so, you know, all of those things are vastly important when you're running a business. And uh, I wish I had certain aspects of that in my uh, you know knowledge base back then.
1: Yeah. Well, and what I, I don't know if you read that <coughs> book, the E myth, but what did they talk about in there is just because you really like baking pies and you're really good at it and everyone loves your pies doesn't necessarily mean that you would be good at running a business that sells pie.
2: That's right. Yeah. Shout out to uh, the author, Michael Gerber on that because I, that that E-Myth is an amazing book. Uh, And in fact, I was, I, I believe I got introduced to that book. I was in a, um, I was in a a bank branch and one of the, I was sitting down, my wife and I, one of the bankers there and, and he, uh, he told us about this book. I think I was maybe opening up the business bank account or something. And he said, have you heard of the emet? And I said, no, he said, this is a book you probably want to get. So I got my hands on that. And, and it's amazing. In fact, over the last like nine years of being in private practice, I probably gave away maybe 50 or so uh, copies of that book.
1: Yeah. And that's one of those ones where that's a book you can read every year. Right. You know, you can read it once a year and you still get something out of it each time that you do. Okay. So I like what you said there. So, what do you think right now you like best about your business?
2: You know, there's a lot of stuff I love about the business. Uh, number one, it's my business. So, what that means is, you know, I have a certain level of control. Right. There's you know, a lot of people that are going through a difficult time right now in terms of working remotely, uh, if they're going to have a job, not have a job, being in control of their income, uh, of their wealth, of their future. Uh, being able to take care of the you know family, kids, so you know having your own business, you're basically you're you're trading in a nine to five for a twenty four seven, and that's the reality. But that comes with its own rewards, its own benefits. So you know being able to have control to a certain extent of my current state, my my future state, uh, being able to take care of family, that's the biggest thing. And you know and the way I do that is by taking care of our clients. You know, I'm deeply, deeply passionate of helping taxpayers um, across the country make sense of this mysterious agency called the IRS. And this is exactly what I was doing on the other side of the table, even when I was at the IRS. Mm -hmm. It was mostly education, helping them understand how they got to this point and how to prevent getting in front of the IRS in the future. And again,
1: okay. So are there some specific areas of what you do that you get the most enjoyment out of personally? Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of from
2: A to Z because, you know, from the beginning of the case to the end, taxpayers, when they first call our office, you know, we have people who call our office, they're crying. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're crying, they're scared. There are a lot of things that are going on in their personal lives that causes them to fall out of compliance with the IRS. I mean, these are people maybe who are going through a lawsuit, maybe their kids have cancer. Um, you know, elderly parents are passing away and April 15th, this usual IRS deadline is not the most important date for these people. Right. So those, those are a type of people that we help. So when they call our office, just giving them some peace of mind, helping them understand that the IRS uh, provides certain options and that it's not a lost cause and they don't have to have this fear uh, that we've all been kind of conditioned to feel. So you know, I, so you end up wearing different hats besides the entrepreneur and the you know the technician and all that stuff you end up also being like a therapist in some some yeah. respects and working with these folks helping them understand letting you, you know letting them know that you're listening to them um, that there's some you know options and there's uh, you know there's some a resolution on the horizon
1: yeah I find that to be true in what we do as well where uh, it's there's a very human component and an emotional component and a you know a psychological component that goes beyond the financial part of it. That's just the data and the numbers, but the connections you make is the important thing. And knowing that the per- letting the person know that they're going to be okay uh, is really important. So you, you mentioned something there, you know, going through the process and the steps, just pretend we're complete dummies, right? And you were, were going to explain to a potential client what the steps are and the process of an IRS collection. Walk us through that. We're all wanting to know. So we're, we're entering into the mind here, Michael. So take us take us through.
2: Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. So, so typically when we get calls, our, our clients are receiving IRS notices or letters. So first and foremost, we have to understand these letters and notices are simply canned templates that the IRS computer is spitting out. Uh, and they send them out on a sequence. So it's not a person who's watching Michael or watching Chris at the IRS and, and monitoring us. They have no idea who we are, in fact. Anyone that's in IRS collections that calls our office, they're just one of 20 million people in the collections inventory. Hmm. So these letters and these notices are simply templates. So the first step is we wanna figure out together is what are these letters and templates that they're receiving actually mean? Are they balanced due, you know, bills who are saying you owe? And if they are, are the balances even accurate? You know, are they correct? Are they based off a tax return that the taxpayer filed, or did the IRS actually file on their behalf and create an erroneous, overstated balance? Um, so we want to figure out together what is the lay of the land of this collections matter, um, and then from there, that dictates where, what direction we're going to go. You know, if there's something we need to correct, let's correct it in terms of the liability figure. Uh, if the liability is accurate. Now, what options are available that exist in this environment called IRS collections? And we start going that path with our client and figuring out uh, out of all the options that exist in IRS collections, which one of these options or more than one can we use in order to bring either the balance down or create a more affordable option for them to pay off the debt?
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: So there, I know there are payment plans, I know those exist, but is it actually possible in one of those options to negotiate a reduced amount? Is that something that's on the table?
2: So we get that question a lot. um, And there's a lot of misconception about that of paying less to the IRS than you actually owe. Mm -hmm. So no one can negotiate with the IRS in the literal sense, like someone can do in the private sector. But there are ways to pay less on the total tax liability that's owed. And those options are simply provided from the tax code to the IRS. Mm-hmm. So the tax code is like the instruction manual that was given to this agency called the IRS and say, here, you follow these rules and these procedures. So as taxpayers, we want to, number one, know what are these procedures, and then we explore the options. And if there's an option that's applicable to us, we want to pursue those options, which may end up resulting in, in less tax due. Okay. Okay.
1: And that—that's a compelling reason why you want to have someone who's an expert in this, um, knowing all those things that you just described, to get the best result that the person can. So, what do you think is the biggest misconception that people have about what you do?
2: About what we do, I yeah. think the biggest one that we've been seeing over the years is that there's some magic wand that will make the balance go away. You know, there's a lot of advertisements out there about pennies on a dollar and, and tax relief and so forth, and all these grandiose claims. So what we do when we speak with our prospects and our taxpayers that call us, and we speak with you know, tons of taxpayers every day across the country, even overseas, just Americans that happen to be living overseas, mm-hmm. is the number one thing we do is we bring them to neutral. And what that means is we listen to what they have to say. And then after that, we start giving them realistic expectations of how the IRS actually operates which is why I just explained in terms of procedures. So everything this agency can or cannot do is simply taken from the tax code. So that means that we as taxpayers actually have a certain level of control and we can manipulate the IRS if we know what those procedures are and we're pursuing those procedures. Right. And in fact, the IRS loves that because now we're working you know, together as a team, both stakeholders, the taxpayer and the IRS, towards a common goal of resolving the case.
1: Mm-hmm. Rather than just sticking our head in the sand and hoping they'll go away.
2: That's the worst thing that we could do as taxpayers is stick our head in the sand. Uh, yeah. We want to open up those envelopes uh, as intimidating as the iris mail could be and we want to open it up. We want to make sure we meet those deadlines and that we're actually on offense and not on defense. Mm -hmm. Offense means we're responding and we know everything they need from us. Maybe it's missing returns for the last six years. Maybe they need an installment agreement request form. Maybe we need to submit a penalty abatement request. That's being on offense. And when you're on offense, you control the case, you steer the case, the collections case to where you want it to go.
1: So give me a description of your most typical client. Are they an individual? Are they a couple? Are they a business? What, what do they typically come to you with at the stage that they come to you that you work with?
2: Yeah. So we have taxpayers who find us online. We have taxpayers who get referred to us by wealth managers, financial consultants, CPAs, tax preparers, because all we do is, is deal with back taxes. That's our specialty. And they come to us you know, in all different situations. So we have some individuals. We have personal cases that we work. And we have businesses that owe money to the IRS, typically payroll taxes mm-hmm. uh, that the business fail to pay and uh, you know in terms of the personal side is usually someone who's self-employed uh, maybe they're an attorney maybe they're a doctor or a dentist maybe there's w-2 earner perhaps uh, in addition to those self-employed folks and on the personal side those people um, you know anywhere from fifty thousand dollars and you know all the way up to millions of dollars to the irs and that could be over a series of years so maybe yeah. there's seven or eight different periods mm-hmm. um, that are owed and the typical thing is they want to know you know what are my options you know what to do and how to do
1: it okay so you know the obvious answer to this question i'm going to ask you is just pay your taxes and do it on time but beyond that what what can people do to avoid being put in this type of a situation when they're in collections
2: yeah you're absolutely right so on the self-employed side Number one is make your estimated tax payments. So if somebody you know, who has 1099 income, and that could mean even an Uber driver, right? It could be folks who are in the gig economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, anytime you receive any funds for that month, make a respective estimated tax payment to the IRS. Uh, don't wait quarterly, uh, try and do it monthly for those folks who are wage earners make sure your w on your w2 make sure you, you end up having adequate withholding federal tax withholding uh, that your employer is withholding on your behalf you know a- outside of that is you know there are big life events like i mentioned earlier that prevent people from from you know being diligent with their filing and, and and with their paying so you know people what i've seen in the last few years is folks that ended up being desperate they pull money out of their 401k and they have a big tax consequence so all of a sudden they owe 60, 70, or 80000 dollars to the IRS and they can't write a check to full pay that, even though they want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, or they sold a house and they have a big capital gains or business and other big capital gains. And now they, you know, they can't write a check to full pay the IRS. So, you know, biggest thing that they can do for themselves as they find themselves out of compliance is you know start being proactive and address the issue head on. We always tell our prospects and our clients that no IRS issue, not one, should ever escalate to IRS enforcement. Mm -hmm. So that means, yes, the IRS has the authority technically to seize a vehicle, seize a house, garnish our wages, take money from a bank account, but things should never, ever escalate to that. Uh, Reason being is we always want to communicate with the IRS, even if that means communicating our disagreement. And we're communicating with the IRS and we're continuing to, to speak with them and steer the case to the direction we want it to go.
1: So I like how you said that. So let's go through a situation that you can think of that comes to top of mind. I don't want you to say, uh, share personal details, but maybe a especially satisfying client experience where you really made a big difference and a big impact in someone's life.
2: Yeah, I mean, so every single taxpayer that comes to us, I mean, they're desperate. They're desperate for help. They're desperate for a resolution. You know, one, one I was just discussing yesterday with a colleague where we did what's called an offer in compromise. So an mm-hmm. offer in compromise is where the IRS ends up accepting less than the total amount due. And that's a very rare circumstance when it should be utilized, but a taxpayer should always consider it. And make sure they do a proper analysis with the with the tax professional to do so. Uh, but that particular one, we had a, a husband and wife uh, that were elderly, and you know, they worked for many years, and they tried to you know run several businesses, try to hire employees in their local neighborhood and create jobs for for the area. And what ended up happening is they ended up owing about about one hundred and sixty thousand dollars or so to the IRS. Now they're they're in you know the older years, like I mentioned, they don't have the income that they used to. But they had a tax lien on their home, and they were going through sort of medical challenges. And this was their home that they were going to be in for the rest of their lives. This was in the home that the only asset they had, the home that they hoped would be passed down to their children. And they ended up coming to us. They were actually referred to us uh, by CPA, and they came to us saying, "You know, what are my options?" I hired a a, a tax relief firm, you know, before ended up paying them a lot of money and they didn't do anything for me. So we ended up figuring out, all right, let's take a look and see what's happening, what happened before and what's happening now. And long story short, we ended up determining that for this this particular couple, it was appropriate not to do an installment agreement, not to even look at getting rid of penalties and interest, but to pursue this one more unique avenue called an offer and compromise. Uh, so we submitted that offer and compromise package. Uh, we went over the financials with the, with the IRS in great detail. There were a series of, of about eight to 12 months. And at the end of the 12th month, we ended up settling the $160,000 balance for $865. Hmm. And not only that, the tax lien on that, that taxpayer's name and their home and everything else the lien attaches to went away. So once the liability goes away, the lien related to that liability also goes away. So now they're free and clear of any sort of attachments to the IRS, free and clear of the IRS debt. And now they could go on with their lives without having to worry about
1: that burden. Yeah, that's a compelling story. That's a substantial difference. And what an impact on their lives. So does that offer and compromise thing, does that work well in a marriage,
2: Michael? Uh, In a marriage, uh You know, it works Have you well. Tried it? <laughs> no, I haven't tried it with my wife of thirteen years. Yeah. Uh, but we try to compromise as much as we can. Uh, <laughs> usually, there's a compromise in her favor. Right. But, uh, but you know what? She tends to be a little more rational than me, anyway. So I think that makes sense for us.
1: When mama's happy, everyone's happy. That's right. That's right. Happy wife, sure. happy life. That's right. So let's shift gears. What would you say is your probably your biggest life accomplishment up to this point? Could be personal or professional or both.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I would say uh, I'd say number one you know, spot is, is uh, you know, creating a family. So, you know, being married, having our two kids, uh, you know, mm-hmm. growing up. To, you know, growing up, I was raised by my father and also my grandmother. So she have took the place of the mother role and she would be babysitting on the side. In addition to watching us, so I was with her at times. And so I grew up, you know, loving like you know, being around children and I have a younger brother five years, you know, as well as older sister of two years. So I, I love being around people and, uh and I love kids. So having my own kids, being able to teach them and, you know, you had a great question earlier about, you know, what I wish I knew, we're trying to teach our two kids all the things that we, you know, wish we knew. Uh, back in the day. so yeah. we're getting them into the entrepreneurial mindset. So that's big for me. If I could end up teaching these children to to help the community to contribute, to create jobs, to run multiple businesses that brings uh, you know wealth and happiness to others, uh, that would be a real dream come true. A mm-hmm. uh, second spot would be having my own business being able to you know to help other people in my business. You know, one of the things I love about being in the service business is that we're in service to others. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing against selling a, a widget, but it's great being able to help people make sense of something that, at least on the surface, appears complicated.
1: Yeah, and scary.
2: And scary, yeah, yeah. and intimidating. Right? Yeah. It makes you want to freeze up.
1: Right, that's well said. So, Outside of your practice, can you tell me something that you're really passionate about personally?
2: You know, personally, is and I have I'm going to be starting a business around this in the future. All right, so I'm announcing this on, on your podcast for the first yes. time. Yeah. Right. So, Definitely. so uh, number one, I'm passionate about is bringing freedom to the masses. Hmm. Um, and my perspective on doing that is providing people with education and information that could provide them with financial wealth. So financial wealth for me means freedom, being able to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Uh, with whom I want to do it. And that's lacking, um, you know, from my perspective. So my ultimate, ultimate dream would be able to have vast majority of Americans understand business, um, know how to earn money, keep money and multiply money and ultimately give them whatever their freedom, you know, desires are.
1: Yeah. And and there's probably a literacy component to that, which I see firsthand dealing with clients and the public where that's really lacking and that's, that's been, you know, that's a puzzle that's yet to be solved, but something that is so needed in our society today, so many of the problems could be avoided, you know, if the literacy existed and people were just doing some six or seven basic things, right, financially, and they'd be in a better position and be able to have more freedom and make choices that they want to make. Yeah, absolutely,
2: and, and the financial literacy, I think, is the key to unlocking that freedom, you know, to happiness, to satisfaction, and uh, you know, high morale. Uh, and I think, obviously, you know, there's there's certain things going on in the world today, and I think a vast majority of people would be in a much better position if they at least felt that yes, I have control over my own life, and I could steer my life direction into whatever uh, area I want to go to. So, and and that's why I think podcasts like this are so valuable and applaud you for setting up, you know, a program like this, because now we, you know, with the internet and with technology, we don't have to take a formal route of going to sit in school uh, for X amount of hours for X amount of years. Mm -hmm. All the information is out there and available to us. Now we just need to get that in front of people and we need to make sure uh, that, you know, we ourselves do the studying and the learning that we need to do to get to where we want Want
1: to go. Yeah. Just the skill of being able to focus your actions and your mind on the things you can control um, is a game changer.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And mindset, you know, knowing that yes, options are available and seeking out the information. Uh, So getting in that right mindset, and a lot of great books out there that could help with that, a lot of free videos and courses out there that could assist uh, getting focused on what you're trying to achieve and then getting all the tools and information that help you achieve that.
1: Yeah. So what you just described might be the answer, but I'll go ahead and ask the next question. What do you? What's the most exciting part about your business right now? What you see as your biggest opportunity?
2: Yeah. So right now with, you know, with what happened in 2020, you know, with COVID and, and businesses uh, struggling along with individuals struggling, we're about to see that uh, inventory of IRS collections cases. I mentioned 20 million. We're about to see that uh, possibly double and that's not a good thing, obviously, for business. It's not a good thing for taxpayers, but it's a good thing now as we exist, our landmark tax group, and, and we plan on, on helping these people in mass. Um, mm-hmm. So we want to we be able to scale our operations where, number one, it's affordable for taxpayers to utilize us mm-hmm. and get the help that they need. Um, and everyone has access to us no matter where they are. In the country. So, you know, down the road, we'll be launching uh, certain products, services, uh, and resources that that will be uh, achieving those two things. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay. So, on the flip side of that, what do you see the biggest challenge to be or the biggest obstacle?
2: The biggest obstacle uh, has been and will always be the IRS. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) And what I mean by that is right now, it could take anywhere from one hour to 16 hours of being on hold on the IRS phone lines just to reach a human being at the irs Mm. so the question becomes how do you resolve a irs problem if you can't reach the stakeholder called the irs Mm. that's the biggest challenge so it would be highly highly beneficial if the irs was able to hire tens of thousands of people Um, and i'll give you a a quick story because when i was at the irs i was on this committee Called the Workforce of Tomorrow Committee. I was 22 years old when I was hired at the IRS. All my colleagues were in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. And the reason that that was important for this Workforce of Tomorrow Committee is because they had to do succession planning. The question ended up becoming what's going to happen when tens of thousands of these employees end up retiring in mass? We need to be hiring or we need to find technology or some other way to replace them. And so we determined that, you know, about 50% of the IRS workforce was eligible to retire, you know, within the next 10 years. So in reality, what we saw just now in the last five years, we saw about 20,000 IRS employees leave. In the next five years, we're going to see about 25,000 more employees leave. And the IRS is not doing any mass hiring. So, what does that mean in terms of taxpayers reaching this agency? What does that mean in terms of practitioners reaching the agency to resolve these collections cases? Um, So those, those, there's some big challenges that are coming on the horizon. Um, So, you know, we're at our office, we're working on very unique solutions to those challenges, including working directly with the IRS on, on certain projects.
1: Yeah, just hoping to get somebody's extension that you can call every time. It's probably not one of them if I don't have an extension.
2: That's right. It's by uh, design. You know, I mean, I just spend three or four days on this one particular case, you know, just trying to reach a person there. And, uh, you know, and then also when you reach them, I might be a different unit that the phone system connected you to and they have to connect you and they transfer you and the whole process starts over again. So that's the biggest challenge that's facing taxpayers and practitioners alike.
1: Mm, wow. All right, Michael. So if people want to learn more about you or what you do uh, or contact you, what's the best way for them to do
2: that? Yeah. So the best way to, uh, to get in touch with me directly is michael at landmarktaxgroup.com. That's michael at landmarktaxgroup.com. And to learn more about you know, our firm and what we do, um, they can head to landmarktaxgroup.com and visit our website. So that's landmarktaxgroup.com. We have we have lots of free resources on there in terms of articles, courses, a uh, whole bunch of information before they even need to hire us for anything. So we're always welcome to chat with any folks, especially your listeners.
1: Awesome. Well, listen, Michael, I want to thank you for taking the time to be here with me today. It's been a true pleasure to interview you. This was a great topic. I learned a lot. I'm sure people will be very interested. I have to come up with a very catchy title. I don't think it'll be too hard to get them to click and listen. And I want to thank everybody for listening and watching the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors, where we're raising the retirement confidence of everyday people to another level, one show at a time. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in and watching. And we'll see you next time. Take care.
0: You've been listening to the Confident Retirement Podcast with Chris and Mark from LPF Advisors. For more information on them and retiring confidently, please visit lpfadvisors.com. If your ears are pleased and your mind is now at ease, do share the programme with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.